Welcome to The Hoop Commitment. I'm your host, Mike Nielsen. Join me every week to get inside the greatest minds in basketball nutrition, training, and leadership to elevate your game and improve the way you eat, train, and lead. Welcome to episode 32. How's everyone holding up out there? Well, we finally settled into a nice routine at home that includes a family basketball skill session, bodyweight workout, guitar practice, and a nightly movie. With all the stress that comes from uncertainty, it's been nice to double down on family time. And I haven't mentioned it yet on the podcast, but I was scheduled to speak at the High Performance Basketball Symposium in Las Vegas next month. But obviously, with the coronavirus outbreak, we've had to cancel the conference. And I was really bummed, but not so much about canceling my presentation, as I was disappointed that I'm not able to connect with all the basketball strength coaches. If you haven't heard of the Basketball Symposium, you'd love it. Not only do they bring in great speakers, but the highlight for me is the daily roundtable discussions where you get to share with other basketball strength coaches with the goal of keeping athletes healthy and maximizing performance. Last year, I had a great time meeting up and learning from guys like Garrett Maidenwall from Tennessee and Bryce Daw from Oklahoma. But I just got word today that the High Performance Basketball Symposium is back on. It's going to be a virtual conference that's free to attend. So if you want to get the most up-to-date information on basketball-specific training, check out specificstrength.com for conference details. And today, I'm honored to have the guy who started and runs the High Performance Basketball Symposium, Charles Stevenson, on the show. He's the Director of Men's Basketball Sports Performance at the University of Utah. And today, he shares a ton of specific information on how he tests and trains his players. Here's Charles Stevenson. Charles, welcome to the Hoop Commitment Podcast. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, Mike, and really appreciate you having me on. I'm really excited to do this, and uh, thank you very much for inviting me. Oh, I'm excited to have you on because of all my friends in the strength conditioning world, you're probably the most connected in the D1 basketball scene because of your basketball symposium. So I'm super excited to pick your brain on stuff and, and just find out what you're doing. So to start us off, I'd love to hear about your journey to becoming a strength coach and then specifically, how did you get into basketball-only training? Well, from my journey as a strength coach, I started lifting weights. And, and I'm, of course, been doing this a long time. So this is back in the day where, you know, muscle and fitness was your biggest guide in how to train. So I started lifting weights, and I was a baseball player, loved it with all my heart. And I saw how strength training helped me become a better athlete. So I continued it. And then on into college, I had a, you know, torn labrum in my um, right in my throwing shoulder. And I had to kind of get that rehabilitated and then went through a phase of just being a strength coach. And I ended up being a strength coach for my college baseball team and actually being the strength coach for the basketball team. And after that, I went on to the University of Virginia as a grad student and studied on Gamble uh, and strength and conditioning there. They had a curriculum set up. And so that's kind of how it all started. Just a love of athletics, just a love of the game of lifting weights because I saw how much it proved you as an athlete. So you went from Virginia. What was your first actual real job? Well, I was fortunate enough to be a full-time assistant at Virginia right after grad school and one year being part-time. So I was really, it was at University of Virginia for seven years. Great time. And I guess what's kind of 
uh, is at the time in the uh, strength training profession, everyone worked with football and football was the most dominant sport. And we had other sports. I had baseball and wrestling, but football, you spent your most amount of time in. And so I always wanted to be absolutely a football strength coach, but I also knew I wanted to be, a, I guess, a head strength coach or a director. So it's kind of funny how in, um, a job came up at Auburn University as director of Olympic sports. And I saw the title director and went after it and was fortunate enough to get it. At that time, Olympic sports meant basketball, you know, was your main focus. And you know, you did all the other teams, but focused mostly on basketball. So it kind of started me down the journey of being a basketball strength coach. And then in 1996, that's how long I've been doing this, uh, Herb Sendek took a job at NC State, and I was fortunate enough to become his strength coach. And it was a basketball-only job with just men's and women's basketball, but also was director of Olympic sports. Well, now... If I ask 10 trainers what basketball specific means, I'll probably get 10 different answers. So I want to hear from you. In terms of strength conditioning, what does basketball specific mean? Oh, you'll definitely get a different answer from me. So to me, it means it's a really complex question, but it's relating to a basketball athlete is one thing I consider it. Number two is more applies to me right now in some of the exercises that we do, the plyometrics we do, the demands of the sport you look at and you try to match those demands and some of the training that you do. And we will do some of the strength training because there is some static and pause you know, needs for strength. So you look at that, but as far as some wonderful exercise that basketball owns as a sport, there's very few, and I, I guess I don't think I have any. So you put on one of the best basketball training symposiums in the country every year with the best strength coaches, not just attending, but also collaborating. And so I know that's got to be a ton of work. Tell me what inspired you to start that. What inspired me to start is was something that I needed back in 2008. So in, in 2008, most of the conferences you went to were heavy into football training, and there actually was very little to none specific to basketball or just – when we say specific to basketball, it's just collaborating with people who train basketball day in and day out and deal with uh, the unique things that come with training that sport. So I needed it. And the way it started was we talked about it for a couple of years. Todd Wright was at Clemson at the time. Todd is now with the Clippers, but I was at NC State and we would talk about it and say, hey, this would be so cool to do. And then finally, I just said, let's just do it. So one year I just said, I just put up a lineup and um, said, I'm going to do it. And then I figured it out along the way so it was kind of like the shoot first you know and then aim <laughs> when i got to go last year and my favorite part was actually not the presentations which were phenomenal by the way but my favorite part were the round table discussions where you sat down with 10 other strength coaches from all across the nation and you got to be able to pick their brains and find out what they're feeding their athletes how they're doing their warm-ups how they're handling injury prevention stuff man i left that first day and i made so many connections and so I just love like, you know, for me, I'm, I want to go back every year, not just for the information, but for the relationships and especially in our field where technology is advancing so fast, it's hard to keep up with it. For you, how have you implemented the stuff that you learn every year and take it back into your programs or do you, you know, do you have a program that kind of works for you and it's tried and true, you don't change it or are you constantly evolving after the uh, symposium every year? 
I grow every year from the symposium and I'll take, I intentionally take an exercise or two. Some are like, Hey, I'm going to do this because it's, it's a great idea. But some I will do like, for instance, last year, Dwayne Carlisle demonstrated this kind of like an acceleration step, like skip where you just kind of just focused on one leg. Uh, it's the first time I've ever seen it. And obviously we do acceleration drills in my training. And I'm like, let me just add this one. Because what I find is when you make sure you add something from someone else, you understand it more, you learn how to coach it. You actually see if it even fits in your program. So it becomes this tool in your toolbox that you actually know how to use instead of just sitting on a piece of paper or in a document that you have to go back and go, what was that? Or, or like, I like to, to do it. I really do. So I can learn it better. So I, I intentionally pick things from a lot of the talks and just, Hey, I'm just going to do it. Well, that's one of the quotes I love is if you know it and you don't do it, you don't know it. And the reason <laughs> I love that quote so much is because that's probably my biggest mistake I make is I'll go to these conferences. I'll take a ton of notes and I think I understand it, but I actually won't implement most things into my program. And so I'll go back three, four, five years later through my notepads and say, oh my gosh, I forgot about this or that. And so I love how intentional you are with things. You know, what would you say has been the biggest shift in your training over the last 10 years? I think one of the bigger shifts is definitely not thinking an exercise or two is you have to do. Finding ways to develop power and strength that are best for your athletes and for your culture, team of culture and your environment. Instead of pigeonholing yourself and say, I got to do this exercise or I got to make sure everybody learns how to power clean just perfectly. And I went through that. I was an Olympic lifter myself. And we, if you looked at my programs, you know, maybe 15 years ago, you would see this heavy Olympic lifting emphasis and, and which are great exercises. And, but I did spend a lot of time just teaching and trying to make the athletes just look so great at them, which is important. But I think I could have spent more time and I do now on just training the concepts and the qualities of performance that I want now out of the athletes. I love that. Well, let's start from the beginning. You know, with all the technologies out there to track and measure, I'd love to get your view on testing, what things you're measuring, what things you're tracking. Okay. Well, I, you know, I'm going to start with conditioning because that just popped in my head. I mean, it's when you mentioned testing, and I think it, it is a conditioning test called a 3015. Is it, I don't know if I have to look it up. Is it IFT or IRT, which is intermittent recovery test? I have an app and I'm going to look it up. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> I just oh, want to make sure. Time. Well, I'll make sure I get it right because I do love the test. Is it the Yo-Yo Intermittent Recovery Test? No, it's uh, it's by Martin, Martin Bouchite. It's a test that actually developed for on-court athletes. And it's 3015 IFT, which stands for Intermittent Fitness Test. Okay, so I use the 3015 IFT test for conditioning. And what I love about it is it's kind of like a beep test, but it does give you a 15 second recovery. So it's a stage test, 30 seconds of work followed by 15 seconds of rest. And you build up, up, up until you no longer can make the lines. So they have a basketball specific one where you do it on a basketball court and you actually run links of the court and stuff like that. So I love that because I get individual speeds that each player can run at, and I prescribe training programs off of that, and that's the 3015 IFT. Of course, we use the force plate. Mostly, we use that force plate to see where the guys are 
as far as how they produce force in, in each leg and how they land. But we mostly use it as a injury post-injury marker or, or kind of helps our athletic trainer and sports medicine side more so than myself. And if there was a recent injury, we want data that's hopefully two weeks to four weeks old instead of data that was taken in September. So we make it a point to use the force plate test every two weeks in our training. I'm taking a breath, Mike. <laughs> I love it. So you have a tester conditioning, you test, you do a force plate test that has, you know, maybe more designed around injury prevention or asymmetries in the body. Yeah. So the force plate test, you know, gives us an in-depth profile of how they produce force and how they land. And we really use it if a person comes back from an injury or if they develop severe knee tendonitis and then we rehab that and they come back from that, we compare forces of when they were healthy. So it's, it's more of how ready are they to return to play? How ready are they to perform at their best? Are you doing any kind of body composition or strength specific, you know, squat pressing uh, tests at all? Okay. So we do use the Skindex to measure body composition, but we don't use it across the board. A lot of times I use the eyeball test. You can look at a player and, and coaches have this unique feel to our, our basketball coaches. Hey, he seems a little heavy, you know, and then sometimes we'll back that up with the Skindex so we can educate the player. Hey, this is uh, where you're percent body fat is or your body composition and here is your body type based on the nba combine data and this is the average body composition for that player at that position with your body type so i'm going to go a little deeper in that because i know that's a little vague but we take all the years of the nba combine and we use the statistical package r to do analytics on this database and we'll actually put in our player's height and their wingspan. So it kind of, we're looking for players with similar build, right? I'm not comparing you to any guard. I'm comparing you with a guard that is a plus two in wingspan. And then we'll try to take that database and narrow it down to about 15 to 20 athletes out of that position and out of that height and wingspan. And then we look at the averages there. So it kind of helps us because we feel that these players are elite players in basketball. This is the body type that is similar to you. And this is what it takes to be at this level, to be in this database. I love that. That's so specific. You're not testing just to test. These guys have a goal or a dream of playing at the next level. And so you'd be able to look and say, this is why we need to train a certain way, or this is why we need to tweak your nutrition so we could be able to compete with these kind of athletes. Are you doing tests like the 185 max rep on the bench? So our strength training tests, you know, as I design the program, you record the data uh, or you log in the weights they use. And, you know, we'll use like Boyd Epley's if let's say their best set was 185 for five in the squat, and then we put it in a, a package that actually converts it to a, a one RM max. So we kind of, and then we'll put it in the database and we'll be able to track the trending of this exercise. And, you know, typically it is the bench and the squat or the hang clean. I'll track chin ups, I'll track pull ups and stuff like that. Rear foot elevated squats. And it depends on you know, the major emphasis of the phase of the exercise, because sometimes I'll switch from squats to deadlift as the primary strength exercise for two foot strength movement. And the squat becomes more of a, a less load exercise. We'll do lighter weights with it. We'll make sure the form is right. So sometimes the exercise change, but I guess the point is, is I feel that the player's loads over time will give you this indication of strength gain. And that's all I need. 
when how it seems like all this is kind of thrown out the window during these times. So I'm sure you're really having a hard time being creative with your players at home. Are you doing all body weight exercises or do you do your players have tools like bands and dumbbells at their access at home? So here's our plan with that is we and it's changed over the last couple of weeks as their situation has changed. We send home three programs. We use Bridge Athletics app. And on that program, we send home a full weight room access program, a limited weight room access program, and a no weight room access program. So from each program, you're able to pick and choose what you can do based on what you have. So now what that's involved to is over time, some guys had full gym to now they have no gym. And so what I've done is I've taken each player and I've communicated with them and written down exactly what they have. Like for instance, this player I was talking with this morning has 45 pound dumbbells, 25 pound dumbbells, and a pair of 15s, and he has a barbell that goes up to 80 pounds. So what I did for him is on his workout today, you're doing high pulls, right? And the great thing about this opportunity being forced on right now is to use lighter loads and to use them for reps and to help us build this base that sometimes in college, you have to prepare a freshman for the season and he needs just more time of preparation. And, and you're trying to do all the developmental exercises, but it's just like you run out of time as, as far as the in-depthness that you can get into it. Sorry to jump around, but basically like this player who has the 80-pound barbell, I'm telling him to do high pulls and hang clean and even full cleans with. He's a decent athlete where he, he's seven feet tall. And he is a plus two, which means he's plus two and his arms are longer than his height. And a lot of times when you get into plus three and four, some guys can't really catch a hang clean because their arms are that long or you just don't love the position they're sitting in. So, you know, you do modifications. But this athlete actually can catch hang cleans. I'm telling him to just do like hang cleans for eight to ten and just build these reps. Okay, and then from there. Let's take the, uh, instead of doing bench press, let's do some weighted push-up. Let's go out and get a, you have weights, you have 80-pound weights. Let's put them in a backpack. Put them on your back and let's load that because he's a fairly strong bench presser. Like if he had to do 185 in the NBA combine, he probably could do it eight to 10 times. And so I'm telling him to load his push-ups, you know, to go through, do some negative. Okay. And now you have your 45 pound dumbbells. You can do incline press. So you can tell the day's workout for him from a strength perspective is mostly a lot of pressing today. But I would have to say it also is preceded with plyometrics. We like to do plyometrics on on some upper body days and then on the lower body days we will do more let's say uh, contrast training for jumping it's so cool to see you individualize all these programs when the guys are home are you doing that same thing during the school year when you have access to them and in the weight room or are they all doing the same program well in the weight room there is individualization going on within the program so to watch our workouts would gain greater perspective because we're also paying attention to our culture and it's not only our culture sometimes it's the basketball culture to me basketball is high energy it's a lot of communication and energy and so we try to build that environment in the weight room so just to kind of answer that question if you saw us work out we like to charge in the weight room as a team and we like to start off with an exercise that's kind of total body and it could be you know all our guys are pretty good with dumbbell muscle clean and press so we're doing a kind of a muscle clean and a press it's a total body movement 
we are getting the body warm, but you know, we're using lighter weights and we're just jumping in the reps. And then we all go right into this exercise that we all know we can do as a team. And it could be some squats or it could be bench press, or it could be, you know, hang cleans and high pulls or whatever it is. We're doing it as a team. We're doing it with lots of energy. And the one thing about our program is when you, that there's the basis, right? We want this huge foundation to be this tone to be set. But from there, I have about out of 14 athletes now, I would say seven or eight actually can do a hang clean to my liking. Some of them are doing high pulls. Some of them are doing dumbbell clean. So that's the individualization, but we still want them to working together. I uh, set it up so they all are working together. And then there's other examples where let's say we have a uh, athlete that doesn't produce as much force on one leg, on his right leg as his left, as far as power. And we get that information from the force plate. We may have them like for that day, we may do a single leg jump, like a step up jump, like a plyometric movement. And then we'll have that athlete do an extra set. They're showing on that deficit leg. I'm sorry. So now if they're also showing a deficit in strength, we tend to have that athlete do more rep. So let's say we're doing a rear foot elevated squat and the right leg is deficient. If we're doing five reps, we'll end up doing a sets of eight for the right leg. And what we found is that this really corrects the patterns the next time we force play or as we continue to force play, we'll see where this corrects these deficiencies. Mike, I could just go off without even taking a breath because if you looked at our program, if you stood in our weight room and watched this workout, you would say everybody's kind of doing the same thing. But there's this deeper level of individualization because after about 30 minutes, we'll just stop because we want 30 minutes of like energy and work. And then we'll stop and let's say it is an upper body day. Our athletic trainer will take a group of five athletes. I'll have a couple of interns or GAs and they'll take five athletes and I'll take five and we'll put them through stations. These are stations where their mobility stations, our athletic trainers working on specific limitations that they have in mobility. We may have a core station and that one tends to be general, but at least we're trying to address some core issues. We'll have maybe a power station. Let's say it is upper body and Typically on upper body day, I do like to do an explosive movement in the beginning, like a hang clean or dumbbell clean. But maybe during this power station, we're doing uh, some speed work. So we have these things built in the program. And at each station, there's individualization involved. I love it. Seems like it's so high energy. We had talked earlier about this podcast is really designed for the high school coach or the high school athlete because you know, people like your players have you, you know, the NBA players have their own guys, their own professionals that are working with them. And what I hear you saying is a lot of the stuff that you're doing doesn't require fancy equipment to have energy, to be able to, you know, modify things, be able to have the eyeball test for body composition. A lot of these things our high school athletes or high school coaches can do. If you were going to be able to give the high school players some advice when it comes to strength conditioning, what would it be? You know, it depends on where you are, but obviously I love body weight movements. You know, Vern Gambetta has this body weight, uh, lower, lower leg circuit that I've been using for years. It's actually one that I just put on our Instagram page for our players to follow, but it's body weight is 20 reps air squats or body weight squats is 20 lunges. And then it's uh, 10 squat jumps and then it's 20 step up jump. What I tend to do is, is more of a scissor jump and it's a, it's a great workout. It preps your body for more 
loads. And then you can actually take that same workout. Now, instead of going straight through with great intensity, maybe let's add some dumbbells and let's lower the reps and that'll make it more strength. So I, I guess if, if I have any advice for high school players is, man, we do push-ups, we do pull-ups and we love them. We love what they do for the body. We do kettlebell squats and kettlebell RDLs are just really light squats and RDL in the beginning as a warm-up, as fundamental movements that you should do and strengthen. And you don't need a lot of weight. So especially during this time, if you don't have them, I'm really excited for even our guys that have been lifting a full year under me to go back and do the body weight stuff to focus on some of these fundamental movements. Boy, that's crazy to think that back in 2005, Vern Gambetta came to our physical therapy clinic, U-District Physical Therapy and Sports Performance, and he showed me that same bodyweight circuit. That was 15 years ago, and it's kind of cool. The things that are tried and true and never changing, uh, those truths will always be there. And so for those high school athletes, things like air squats and lunges and step-ups, push-ups, pull-ups, I really believe the end game of basketball is how well can you manage your body weight. And so if that's the end game, sometimes it's helpful to start there with a lot of those body weight exercises. No doubt. Love it. So tell me about nutrition because I really believe that nutrition is the fuel that allows you to be able to do the push-ups, the pull all the high energy stuff. Tell me a little bit about your guys' nutrition program at Utah, how you're helping your players' education, and then also what kind of resources do you have for them? Well, we have a uh, full-time sports nutritionist, and her name is Lauren Jones. She does an amazing job. She runs our department. She works with our players. I think, you know, I'm more of the boots on the ground, day in and day out, uh, education of little concepts that they use that we can give them to help them perform better. So as far as nutrition, we have little five-minute education sessions I'll give before a workout or after. You know, I can just say, hey, we can start with, you know, post-practice recovery. We have either protein shakes or milk on the sidelines to actually replenish fluids, but also replenish protein, carbohydrates, and fat. This year, we moved towards actually making smoothies for players that, especially for ones that were high calorie and some that were just good sound nutrition. And one of the reasons we moved to that is we were tired of just giving them a pot, a lot of times high sugar protein drink. And I feel like if you can give them uh, some good fruit smoothies, which is just good wholesome nutrition and feel better about what you're giving the players another thing that we do during practice is there's always a source of carbs that they can use to fuel their body throughout two hour two and a half hour practice so we encourage them at the halfway point to actually go over and partake in some of these fuels that are easy to digest. And a lot of instances, it's Gatorade or Gatorade chews. But this year, again, we moved more towards fruit, orange slices. I'd have the pineapple was a big hit, cut up watermelon. So during practice, they have access to these good foods to fuel their body instead of a simple sugar type of supplement you know, actually putting down these simple sugars because they have their supplement because they have their purpose. And we use gummy bears actually, but we found that we'd have the gummy bears to the left or we have these, um, I think it's a uh, black forest whole fruit snacks is what they are. And they have like real liquid fruit uh, juice in the middle. So our guys really love them. So they can choose that, but they now almost exclusively eat the fruit and don't eat the processed um, <laughs> fruit snack. That's so cool. That's the same shift that we've been doing over the last 10 years is not getting rid of processed food because we know that they're 
definitely have their place and could be helpful, but we're trying to add more whole foods, you know, where the name of the food is the ingredient of the food. And so I love hearing you say things like oranges, you know, the ingredient of an orange is an orange. Those are things that once again, high school players can throw in their backpack because I think the difference between the athletes that are really fueling themselves well and the ones that aren't, the ones that are fueling themselves well are simply just prepared. They have something in their backpack or in their gym locker because the biggest mistake I see our athletes make is just simply not having enough fuel throughout the day. So it sounds like you have a lot of great options for them. Yeah, Pat, you're exactly right, being prepared. One thing that I will share with you is, you know, our athletes will have meetings with our sports nutritionists. And during these meetings, you will see quite a few red flags, right? So one thing, I think I learned it from you. I did, Mike. <laughs> I forget. You uh, uh, have this thing, focus on one thing. So we had our players this year, okay? Your first thing you're going to correct is you're going to eat breakfast. And then it's not just going to be um, a Pop-Tart and juice. It's going to be you're going to eat a full good breakfast. So that was one of the first habits that we tried to correct. And I think I either, you either published something that had this in there. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you're totally making my day now because I've learned about a thousand things from you. And if you took one thing from me, I, I'm a happy man. Oh, this is absolutely came for you. I just can't remember the exact context or content, but I know we uh, we focused on one thing. It was something you sent out that said, if you focus on one thing that you change in nutrition, you have, I think it was around 80% chance of changing. If you focus on two, it drops below 50%. If you focus on changing three things, you have no shot. So that was a very powerful thing that you put out that impacted me. And it was something we applied to our team this year with all of their nutritional needs. Oh, that's so cool. That actually came from my newsletter. So all you listeners, if you go to hoopcommitment.com and you sign up for any one of my programs, we have a little weekly email that sends out. And that was one of the most powerful things I learned was just the power of habit. And I'm always thinking I can outsmart the system or I'm more disciplined than the average person. So I'll try and change two or three things at a time. But the research shows if you try and change three habits at once, you have less than 10% chance of doing any one of the three. And so, yeah, that actually changed my life is what's the one thing I can focus on, turn it into a habit. And then once you have that down and it's part of your routine, then you can stack on the next habit. Love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Super helpful information. And mostly I just love hearing your passion. I mean, I think it's going to totally come through on the podcast. Where can our listeners find out more about you and specifically the Instagram account where you're posting some of those motivational talks? Well, it's Utah men's basketball. I think it's Utah MBB on that account. What I've done is we've started something called Motivational Monday, and you know I, I'm doing my best to do my part there. There's two posts under that category, but what I did is I actually wanted our guys to train four days a week, and so I kind of put up two workouts that kind of model like an upper body day. So what, what we like to do is jump training and power training and upper body, and then the next day we'll do some more power training, but it's mostly lower body and pulling focus. So I posted two workouts where they complement each other if you did them back to back they are with no equipment but some of the stuff that you'll see in those workouts is some of the things i suggested our players do for stationary warm-up for core work for plyometrics jumping that day and it begins with you know stabilization exercises and plyos first 
and then it will progress as uh, this period of time moves forward. Well, I can guarantee I'm going to be popping on there and taking some of those exercises to help me out with my athletes because the thought of who knows if this is going to be two more weeks or two more months, but body weight exercises to think about creativity and progression. I think we're all going to need to kind of lean on each other and get some good ideas. So that's awesome that you did that. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And I'm bummed I'm not going to be able to see at the symposium. And are we talking about postponing that maybe to the fall or... Well, the plans are right now is to do a virtual clinic, probably use the platform Zoom, but still kind of collecting information, deciding and seeing who's all in and who would like to do it and be a part of it. Well, that's awesome. I'll make sure I've included on the show notes where they can find you, where they can find out more about the symposium. And uh, thanks again, man. It was great catching up with you. Mike, honored and thank you so much for having me on. Now that's a wrap on episode 32. And I hope you join me next week for the highlight of my year where I get to interview Lenny Parasino, soft tissue therapist for the LA Clippers. As you all know, I pick one person to study every day for 15 minutes for the entire year. And Lenny is my guy this year. So as you can imagine, I'm so excited to have him on the show. And if you haven't already, it would mean a lot if you'd rate and subscribe to the podcast. It's cool to see the listener base grow and the ratings continue to add up. And to all of you who are committed, we'll earn your X.